mind the gap. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Excel Ent Reproductions. The Imagination Gap. And a Ticketari. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. Up to date news for out of date tech. Hello, gents. Welcome to another week and another show. And our guest today is Gareth from, oh, a magazine. I can't remember the name of it. Can anyone remember the name of the magazine, Gareth? from? <sighs> oh, Retro Gamer. Amiga. Sorry, it's to edit. Pixel Addict. Pixel oh. Addict. Welcome, Gareth. We've got some official representation representation from our sponsors. Um, so we're going to be on best behavior today. <laughs> Super professional, everyone. <laughs> um, you better be. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about exactly what Gareth does at Pixel Addict uh, a bit later. But how's your week been, Gareth? Has anything retro been involved in your week this week? Um. Well, playing uh, Link's Awakening on the Switch. So, is it retro? If it's remastered, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's retro. Yeah. yeah, it counts. Anything's retro. That's more yeah. retro yeah. than vintage. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Chris, how about you? What's your week been like this week? Ah, uh, I went on a like a one thousand. 200 kilometer round trip to watch a partial eclipse um but whilst there um went to place a mini putt hadn't been to this particular place for over 20 years and they still have a collection of arcade machines so uh, they let me grab some footage of those they said would you like us to turn them all on for you (laughs) yes please so yeah really nice (laughs) things like um outrunners um and just like uh low boy jammer cab with street fighter 2 on it and a couple of other things so yeah nice little collection so, so will that appear in a, in a future video when you're trying? Oh, a very short one. It was a very quick pan around. It wasn't the reason I was there, and I had to quickly go and pick up my wife from horse riding. <laughs> she literally <laughs> phoned whilst I was videoing because <laughs> I'd finished my game of mini putt, and she, she wanted picking up from horse riding. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. To... Arcades, mini golf, horse riding, a day in the life of Chris. <laughs> uh, Dave, how's your week been? <laughs> I've been great. I started, I decided I wanted to play... Knights of the Old Republic again. It's a 2003 game, so I spent two and a half hours, and I'm not joking, two and a half hours fixing it so that it works on a modern computer. Neil? Did you did you get to use your yoke with that game? No, it's... it's um, it, it's um, it, Do you know what the game is? Or Yeah, it's a um, first-person game, isn't it? Knights of the Old Republic. Not really, no. Uh, you're, you're behind okay. it, you see yourself on screen. It's a third-person game using a yes. first-person yes. engine. <laughs> yes, yes. What fine. engine yes. is it? Is it the yep. Unreal Engine or the Quake Engine? Could be. One of them, Might be. Might be. Probably talking <laughs> utter nonsense. Anyway, I'll let you speak, Dave. <laughs> yeah, so uh, two and a half hours to get that working, but it's actually great now I've got it working. Um, other than that, not much. Just uh, every week it's uh, it feels as if it's just been a few days. <laughs> yeah. Well, my week's been pretty good. Um, it uses the odyssey engine apparently i just had to look it odyssey up previously used by bioware for neverwinter nights so there's the connection yes it is neverwinter uh, nights yes. yeah yeah um yeah my week's been nice i've um thank you for asking dave johnny's been trying to destroy the microphone <laughs> i got to use the uh, the lab in earnest this week um did a lot of work neil. on re- restoring the uh, neil. uh yes neil. dave how was your week 
I oh, it was great, Dave. I knew he was going to do that too. I got to use the lab to um, nearly get to the end of restoring the Packard Bell I've been working on, a 1996 machine that for many people won't get a lot of love, but it's one of those machines that I always associate with uh, going to Dixon's at the weekend, popping in and seeing what, what's the latest computers that are for sale and sort of lusting after certain things that I couldn't afford. And Packard Bells were always up there, especially when I was still in an Amiga owner, thinking, how am I going to mm. bridge that gap, make my way onto PC ownership? And they were the kind of ones that were becoming more and more affordable. So they have a place in my heart, which is why I'm giving this one some attention. And uh, yeah, it was really nice to use that new lab. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Yes, Gareth. Haven't you guys found that uh, the interest in PC, uh, old PCs from the 90s specifically, has just shot through the roof over the last year, year and a half? 100%. Yeah. It's the moving window of nostalgia. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Which is good because I've got a couple that cost me nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Dave. Is Is there any link between me starting on this podcast about a year ago and talking about <laughs> DOS. Oh, oh. That's, when it, that's when it dipped, Dave. <laughs> went down. Oh, Dave, careful, Dave. Your head, your head won't fit in the frame soon if you keep talking like that. But, um, in, in case anyone, in case anyone, anyone listening is confused, I don't believe that for a moment. <laughs> is there a ceiling, though? Is there a ceiling to PC nostalgia? Because I think we probably all, a lot of us started with the off-the-shelf PCs and then you get into the recycling parts upgrading using the same case again you know we've talked about this before at what point does the nostalgia kind of tail off in pcs because you just simply can't keep track of what you had um or a pc was never a pc it was just a bunch of parts that was ever evolving it's it's an interesting one actually because i i I thought i'd never have nostalgia towards those those kind of things but now it's coming around because of that stupid moving window of time and so my, my first one's easily identifiable. It was an Amstrad, so they're very specific, very unique mm-hmm. look and feel. Whether I go looking for one, I'm not sure. But then it goes into this gray, gray area, like you're saying there, Neil, where it's just a blur of one upgrade to another. But I think the upgrades become the thing you chase. I want that 3DFX card. I want mm-hmm. that sound card. I want maybe that joystick, um, you know, so it's those specific elements but potentially. I've, I've, I've been given a an old... 2012 pc which i i've got xp and windows 7 on there and that for me is still a current pc um it's just so that i can play those games from that era whereas just behind me that that's a a pc i've literally found in a dump and it's a dos pentium machine and that for me does feel vintage you know Mm. i want to re-explore that old world basically yeah Nice. Well, having an XP machine opens up a huge window of gaming for you. It takes you all the way back to 2001 and then Windows mm-hmm. 7 beyond that. So that, that's a great machine to have. This is a topic which I think will come up again and again in stories uh, on the um, on the subreddit. If you don't know how this podcast works, please head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro where you can submit your stories and they will become the topic of conversation. And I think we should go into our first story now, guys. No. So Dave, sorry I nearly missed you there. Have you got any housekeeping this week? Yes, 
I'd like to welcome our new patron, Colin. Uh, Colin is also known as Ponder, where he, says tw- he streams on Twitch under that name. So thank you very much, Colin, for signing up. If you do want to sign up, uh, if you want to join uh, the list of patrons that we have, then go to patreon.com slash thisweekinretro and you can become a patron there. Thank you again, Colin, and to all of our patrons who helped make this possible. It's all very well putting in hour after hour of work to restore a beloved vintage computer. Fixing problems with electronics, nurturing plastics back to look like new again, just like I've been doing in the lab this week with that Packard bell. Sourcing hard-to-find missing parts, parts that you perhaps wouldn't have even unboxed back in the day. So with my Packard bell, I'm now on a mission to try and discover... Do you remember the pencil-thin microphones that used to sit on a little round base? They're very cheap. They used to come with PCs. They were horrible, but now for completeness, when I look at the catalogue with the Packard Bell, I need that thing to put next to it. Why? I don't know, but I'm I'm trying to source one. Or if you had the option to simply buy all of this off-the-shelf brand new, just buy your childhood computer brand new, not new old stock, new new, would you do it? Well, that's not quite the pitch for our next story, but on the surface, it's definitely the hook. A brand new machine that looks exactly like an Atari 800XL is planned. And uh, thank you to listeners Oz Retrocomp and Marin Bala for submitting this story to our subreddit. Revive-machines.com have presented plans for a beautiful looking brand new Atari 800XL, which at first glance just looks like the original. But on closer inspection, you'll find an HDMI port and a USB-C port nestled at the rear. Um, also, USB ports on the side next to the D9 ports, and then all of the original ports complementing that. Uh, Revive-Machines, by the way, seem to be based in Poland, and it looks like they were registered in as far back as 2005, from what I can discover. So they seem to have been around for a while, but I'm not aware of any other products that they've come up with. So if you know of any, please do let us know, and we will look into their history. A fully functional cartridge slot is promised, classic monitor output, and even the SIO port, which is 100% compatible with original peripherals. So peripherals including the disk drive, which you could, with that SIO port, I think it was like a very, very early version of USB in, in the way that it worked. You could daisy chain lots of devices together. Was it USB or was it the ADB, the, the Apple port? Can't remember now, but you could daisy chain devices together. Really cool port. And it would be great to see that you could use original peripherals as well. Inside is a different story, though, as we find, uh, you guessed it, an ARM and an FPGA combo. And that opens up some fun possibilities in the same way that the ZX Spectrum Next does. You can enjoy it in the original configuration, or perhaps, now there's nothing to suggest that this is what's going to happen, but I would guess you might have options like doubling the clock rate or maybe a brand new video mode or extra custom chips or something crazy like shoving a SID chip into an Atari XL. Of course, software would be need to be written to support these, but we've seen this happening with the ZX Spectrum Next and it's perfectly feasible that it would happen here too. But it's not really the FPGA side that excites me with this project. FPGA is fast becoming the norm when it comes to retro recreations. Slowed somewhat by supply chain issues in recent years, there are signs of that easing up now, and surely this project is going to take some time to come to fruition, so that should all hopefully fall into place with availability. The Twitter account uh, announced that this should be on sale in 2024. Quite how ambitious that is, I don't know, because we don't really know how far along the project is at this stage, only that they're announcing it. What excites me, though, is the case. 
Um, I felt this before at the prospect of the A500 Maxi and the full-size VC64 when it came out. There's just something about seeing your old favorites mass-produced on the shelves in places like Argos um, in the hands of regular casual consumers, if you like, people buying them up. It just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. Those are just two examples that were at the cheaper end of the scale, certainly. But if this is, is anywhere near as good as the mock-ups make it look, and they do just seem to be 3D rendered mock-ups so far, Gareth can probably confirm that with his experience in the in the area. They look like 3D mock-ups. Um, but if they're anywhere as good as they look, then there's going to be a lot of drool on a lot of keyboards because they do look fantastic. So guys, my question to you, does this excite you? Will it be a success? And um, do you want to hedge any bets on the price while we're at it? Dave? Um, for me, the 800XL or the 600XL or the 1200XL, the XL range is the most beautiful uh, line of 8-bit Ataris. They did three different lines. They did the first generation, which looks a bit cheap, I think. Um, I hope I haven't offended anyone there. If you've ever picked up a 400 or an 800, there is so much metal shielding. They do mm. not feel cheap. They feel, they feel weighty. And I would say they look 70s, maybe, is how I would describe yeah. it. Yeah. Not cheap. The, the yeah. keyboards aren't as good. Yeah, it's just not as good. And then the later range was styled in the same way as an Atari ST. So that's the XE line. And they do look good, but I've got an Atari ST to look that way. There's nothing that looks, nothing really that looks like a, an XL other than an XL. It's a, it's a lovely chocolate and cream um set up with a little bit of silver on it um now i didn't know much about the the 8-bit range for atari i never had one as a kid i think they were um, too expensive when they were um when they were new and popular and by the time that we got in the uk our spectrums and our amstrads and so on i think they didn't they didn't really compete very well um but there is a huge range of games on the 8-bit Ataris, massive range of games. And a lot of things that I thought were Commodore 64 games are actually Atari games. Um, so um, Commodore yet again have come in later than a, a something and then uh, soaked up all the games and claimed to own them. Um but there is a real uh, rich history of games on it. It's it's a great old machine. And like all old machines, the same problems exist. You don't just have to buy the machine, but you've got to upgrade the memory in some cases with the 600. You've got a power supply to replace because the old ones are not they're not great things to have in the house. There's always a fire risk, uh, or they don't work properly, or they'll kill it. Uh, you've got video output, and then you've got flash storage, and that puts the price up, especially as the XL machines in particular aren't too cheap now. The XE ones are a lot cheaper, but the XL aren't so cheap. So... This comes across as rather than being the the mini maxi like the C sixty four, it's more like the is it the Commodore sixty five? Is that what mm -hmm. was that the, the, the recent one? Yeah, yeah. 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 Mega sixty five. Yeah. Mega sixty five. Mega sixty five. That's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and the Spectrum next and so on. So this this looks to be to be hopefully like that. And I think if you have if the if your eight bit machine is the Atari XL, then you'll want to buy this. My 8-bit machine's the Amstrad CPC, so if, if this was an Amstrad CPC, I'd buy it. But I, I'm not sure if I will. I think it'll be expensive. I'm thinking 500 quid. I know the Spectrum Next was a bit cheaper, but I think the Spectrum Next, and I, I, this is pure conjecture, but I think the Spectrum Next, um, they um, were extremely good at bringing the price down, and I don't know that anyone else can do it quite as well as they can that way. 
Uh, and I know that the other things, like the the Mega sixty five, it was expensive, wasn't it? Was it six hundred or something? It was yeah, a lot I of money. Six hundred, yeah. Gareth. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Maybe seven hundred. Yeah. Hmm. I, um, with the Spectrum Next, the, the first round of Next were pre-pandemic before we had supply chain issues. And the second round, actually, of the Kickstarter hasn't been delivered yet because I backed that second round and, and haven't got it yet. So they've got caught up in the problems. I don't remember the price shooting up at all, um, but then they have had to work behind the scenes to source an alternative FPGA chip to yeah. just make this thing happen. So there's been a lot going on to, to do that. But th there is a great team on the Spectrum Next that are making sure that that gets delivered. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Dave. I think we'd be having a very different conversation if this was an Amstrad CPC. <laughs> I think it would just be fanboying. So for anyone that, yeah. for, as you say, if, if the 800XL was their machine, they're going to love this, I think. Uh, Gareth, was it your machine? Um I used one once at a friend's house, but it wasn't actually the XE range or the XL range. It was the original 70s one. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it, but our folks then got us onto the Commodore range of computers, first the VEC-20. So that's basically where I left Atari behind until I got an ST. Um, so I, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, I, I do... Uh, while you were talking, Dave, I, I was wondering about copyright, actually. That just suddenly popped into my head. Who owns the, the copyright or the IP for the case? Because if you look at the Spectrum Next, there was some deals done with Sky to, um, not, not necessarily with the case, but it's a different case, so it's new. Um, the C64, I think there were some discussions with the IP owners to use the bread bin. Do they have the rights to use that Atari case? I, I don't see anything on the website about it. Mm, and the question is, who who owns the rights to it? Because this was Jack Trammell's Atari, wasn't it? The, the Atari microcomputer that was split away from the, the console side. Uh, Atari comes up later in the show today, so we will have more com conversations about rights and things that they do and don't own. But who owns the case? I don't know. And also what made me chuckle a little bit is instead of Atari on the label, it says RM800XL, RM for um, Revive Machines. But RM reminds me of RM Machines here in the UK. We used to have... Uh, the BBC Micro, and then some people had the RM range of machines uh, in their schools. RM Nimbus, yeah. Mm. Dave? Yeah, I wonder how far along this project is because if they're only now at their proposal stage, if they're still talking to the rights holders, which may be the case, then mm. there's nothing wrong with them putting mock-ups and saying, look, let's see what interest there is. It may be that they find there's not the interest they want, or on the other hand, it may be they find there's loads of interest and it makes it it makes it makes possible. And imagine they're probably still talking about money to these people. So, mm. yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's reasonable. I mean, copyright, as long as the holders can be located, copyright is, is a check away, <laughs> you know. <laughs> The, name you your price so. and let's negotiate from there. So yeah. yeah. So so Gareth, let's just assume we can get over the legalities of this. Uh, is are there any things that you like about this? Well, I, you know, I'm a I, I enjoy the retro hobby. I enjoy the software side more than the hardware side. So f especially as I get older, I don't really want to be servicing my Amigas and my Commodores when I'm 79. So. I'd be quite happy to use some of that retirement money to buy a machine like this and experience the world um, without the pain of maintaining 
an old machine. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh- I think that carries into the YouTube YouTube world a lot because um, increasingly I see a direct correlation between the amount of effort I have to put into fixing a machine and the amount of views. People love watching other people have to go to that hard work, but when it comes to doing it yourself, you know, there's, there's a price on everything. And, and if this falls within that price bracket, then you'll probably just buy it and enjoy using it and not worrying about it breaking. Um, Chris, what do you think about this? Let, let's get some balance because there, there were a few digs that didn't go unnoticed by Dave there about Commodore. So let's, let's redress <laughs> the balance, please. Uh, I don't think we need to stoop that low, you know. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I have noticed there's a lot of love for the 800XL, so I can understand why they would target this machine. A lot of YouTubers are cov- covering the original machines at the moment. Um, it's not something I ever play with myself, so I have no connection, no nostalgia, and very little lot knowledge on the machine itself. For, for me, Atari of that period was about the arcades and about the 2600, the games console in, in most people's lounges. Um, and that's where my connection is from that time. But I do love all of these all new projects. You know, the fact that you, you can just recreate a machine from the ground up. And as everybody here has already said, it will just work. Um, and I like the idea of something hopefully being mass produced to the point of being sold, sold in stores. I don't know if this will be, but one of my comments on the first Kickstarter campaign for the Spectrum Next um, to the group, and I hope it was taken in the right way because it was meant as an encouragement, was I don't want to buy something like that on a Kickstarter. I want to work, walk into WH Smith's and see that box on the shelf, and that's where I want to buy it. And I would have happily and, 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 forked in out In fact, you did do that, that, didn't yeah. you, with, with the A500? You did enjoy yeah. doing that. Yeah. So the A500 Mini, and it, and it was great. And, you know, not quite the same as if it was a full-size a500 that would be even better and i do hope they go to that whatever shape they choose to do i don't care i'll I'll walk into the shop and i'll buy it because what i'm buying is that experience that nostalgic experience of just seeing the branding in a shiny glossy finished cardboard box on the shelf for handing over my money and taking that box home in the car i mean i'm smiling even just talking about it it would be fantastic so it's a shame that something like the spectrum next didn't go that way but i understand why they wanted to keep it to kickstarters and they've done a great job with that project um and i just love seeing more and more machines finished in this way you know for example um uh, retro recipes christian recently revisited the idea of the all new c64 because some of the replacement chips that he didn't have for his first video are now available and he got hold of some prototypes and and finished that project off as well so yeah fantastic even though the x800 xl isn't something i have attachment to just yeah fantastic project love it yeah well certainly one to watch i think and given the excitement that i feel when i see these kinds of projects Part of me does wish that they would simply focus on the case and only the case. You know, fill fill a case like that with all kinds of mounting points to let me put a pie in there or a mister or even an original system board from the system. Um, or a, I've, I've got a couple of old mini ITX PCs kicking around in the cave, which aren't worth very much and they aren't doing anything, but they'd be ideal to put in a case like that and run some emulators or even run a modern operating system just in a fun case. So... Yeah, I, I don't know why the case excites me so much, but it does. Dave? There is a little bit of an issue with Mr. in that there's not enough I.O. lanes for it to work for what I want to happen, but what I would love to happen would be for <clears throat> Mr. to have, instead of an I.O. board or, or 
like the MMS board that, that you're part of, Neil, for someone to come out and say, here is your Atari 8-bit board for the mister. Here's your Amstrad CPC board. Here's your, here's your ZX Spectrum. Here's your Commodore 64. And you plug the mister into that, and that then is port compatible with a reproduction case or, a, or an original case so that you can have your flavor, your, your own mister in the case. And if you want to, it can be emulating that particular machine or you can have it go into other cores as well but it won't happen yet it won't happen with the current mr project because there's not enough in io lanes there for it to work with it needs more io lanes and once that's there perhaps that's what we'll see and and that yeah i agree that would that would really be good if, if you could have whatever you want inside your atari xl case and have it look just like this yeah, and that is essentially what this is going to be. Whether or not they start to port some of those existing cores across from the Mister Project to work on this or not remains to be seen, but it's perfectly viable that that may or may not happen. Um, but, of course, first of all, they've got to finish it and they've got to sell it and they've got to have a, a customer base to use it. So this is definitely one to watch. Delivery, um, I don't know when, but uh, on sale in 2024, they say, so... You know, who knows how long delivery will come after that. But we'll keep a close eye on it, and no doubt it will come up again in a fo- in a future show. And you can find links to it in the show notes, as with every story that we discussed today. We are sponsored, thank you very much, by Pixel Addict Magazine. Pixel Addict Magazine are a monthly magazine that comes out every six weeks, which we recently learned. Thank you for telling us, Pixel Addict. Um, <laughs> and we have a sp- one of the reasons we have Gareth on here today, and not just because of his work in Pixel Addict, is because Gareth does the covers for Pixel Addict. Now, I like the covers of Pixel Addict. I was talking about them. When we come up, we talk about the dinosaur, for example, and so on. But Gareth, this is what you do, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So um, I'm a, a motion graphics designer by day. Well, I used to be a more of a programmer, to be honest, these days. But um, I still love – that's where I got my start uh, on the Amiga with Imagine and Deluxe Paint and all that stuff back in the 90s. And, yeah, creating stuff is um, what I really enjoy. And I, actually, it's part of my enjoyment of the retro hobby is the creative side of, of it. Um, so, yeah, I started writing for Pixel Addict as well. And then I was like, well, let's do a cover. And I did that uh, Rubik's Cube one. And it, it just snowballed from there. Each, each month there was a new challenge. Um, we usually have a, about a week or a week and a half to get the cover done. So there's a little bit of a discussion on the Discord uh, around the theme. And then there's usually a, <laughs> a big rush to get it done because, um, you know, sometimes I have to build the things. Sometimes we, we buy in the models like that dinosaur. I didn't model that dinosaur. They would have taken away too long. Um, but some uh, uh, very talented person actually built it and rigged it, so it was easy for me to move the limbs around and get it into the the yeah into its into its position. So, yeah. well, get, while Gareth's talking, um, hopefully Duncan's been edited in some screenshots that Gareth's provided us with. Looks like you're using Blender, and yeah. um, there's another art package with a, a sort of purpley logo. What's that one? That's that- Affinity, Fo- Affinity Photo. So Affinity Photo. I, yeah, uh, I don't subscribe to the Adobe Cloud. Um, 
and I was looking for an alternative. And it's actually a, a British company. Um, they've got a, three packages, uh, Affinity Designer, Affinity Photo, and there's a page layout program, which I forget the name of. But they're incredibly powerful tools, and you don't pay a subscription, which I really like. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you do a, you do a fantastic job with those covers. They're always very striking. Thank you. But, um, important question for you, Gareth: Should we judge a magazine by its cover? Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I, I buy <laughs> I buy music based on its cover. I buy books based on its cover. But I'm a visual person. So <laughs> there we go. Well, you can look out for Gareth's covers, uh, past and present, at pixel.addict.media. Dave, is there a new? edition out yet or when's the next magazine due? yeah so the the new edition uh was in your shops about a week or so ago and it's got a lot on it about dos um i i hoped to sit down and read it all this week i've not had a chance there's been things going on in the background with family um but i hope to sit down and read it there's a lot i'd like to read in it i love dos i like uh, we, in fact, we mentioned that DOS is coming up uh, in the past year or so. It's really coming up. So I like that because there's so many good games to talk about in DOS. So, yeah, this this month, this month, this six weeks. What, what's the – what's the you, you've got a fortnight for two weeks. You've got a month for a month. What do you call six weeks? Is it just six weeks? This six-weekly magazine, whatever it is, um, is all about DOS. Hang on. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Quinquineo. Quin- really? Wow. No, that's not right. What? No, sorry, Google's lied to me. <laughs> Google's lied to me. Said, is is there a word for every six weeks? And it says quinquineo, and then I click on it, and it says quinquineo, consisting of five years. That's not six weeks. Why? Close yeah. enough. Close enough. <laughs> you, you can also you can also buy Pixel Addict in your newsagent, where if you go to your newsagent, it's there. The cover will jump out at you because they're that good. Buy it for the cover. Definitely. <laughs> this week I've picked a four panel comic for the story uh, I've done it for three reasons first of all it's by far the most upvoted submission to the subreddit this week and if for people who don't know people submit stories and there's a little arrow you can click to indicate that you're, you'd like us to talk about this story and people wanted to talk about it so I picked it for that I also think um, it's uh, while it is a, a funny comic I quite strongly disagree with the thought behind it. Um, So I think it's a great talking point. And the third reason, of course, is that um, Gareth is on this week, and that's what he does. He he produces the covers for Pixel Addict to try and get people to to, to buy it. So thank you to Starcade2084 for submitting it. It's a four-panel comic which shows a wee guy... And in the first, he's holding a game box and he says, wow, this looks awesome. The next panel shows the cover of the game and there's a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, a Tyrannosaurus, a jet fighter, a ninja and someone who looks like Rambo. Um, It's like they've been ripping off Gareth's covers. Um, The third panel... (laughs) The third panel shows him playing what looks like an Atari 2600 on an 80s TV and the game on screen is a combination of Pong and Space Invaders. Simple, blocky graphics. And the final panel shows his little disappointed face, unhappy, and the caption for the whole thing is, what video game covers deceived you? So 
Yeah, I do get that. I do get that was the case. But I want to talk about something called the imagination gap. And the first and only time I've heard the phrase imagination gap was used on the podcast, and it's a proper podcast unlike this one, uh, called the TED Dabney Experience, which they interview people from the classic arcade. It's a really good podcast. We've mentioned it before. Uh, I think it's fantastic, though. And to explain what the imagination gap is my own terms uh, because I, I don't I couldn't find it as an online thing. Maybe it is an online thing, but it was difficult for me to find at least. Um, it's the distance between the game that you play on the screen, be it a text adventure, a platform game, a 3D space shooter, the space our imagination fills between what's actually there on the screen and the experience that we actually enjoy. And it's vital for old games. And I think in many cases, it makes them better. We talk about books, for example, and the, the film of the book. It might be easier and more engrossing on the silver screen, but it can't quite do what imagination can do. Now, old games had various different ways of doing it. You had the feelies and the browsies from Infocom games. You had the, the great big thick manuals in flight sims. You had uh, novellas and games like X-Wing and Elite, a little... Um, short book for you to read to get you to get you started but I think the most popular was the actual cover of the game itself and my favorite pre-computer art ones like the ones you see on Atari um, 2600 games or some 8-bit games and actually loads of the the SSI RPG games that I have behind me um, they're all done with uh, hand-drawn art and I think they're, they're fantastic um, but perhaps my favourite is the, the cover of Driller uh, by Steiner Lund. But it's not all plain sailing. Some covers really did set up a game that wasn't there and they hinted at gameplay that really didn't exist. Now, Neil, what helps you fill the imagination gap? Are there good or bad examples for you? Yeah, I can give you a very specific example. So the first game that really fooled me was called Rigel's Revenge, like Nigel but with an R, which makes it more exciting. Um, I remember exactly where I bought it. I bought it in Superdrug on Dorchester High Street in Dorset. It was on the pegboard because it just had a small section for 8-bit games. It was a cassette tape, but it had that cardboard backing with the hole on the top to hook it on. So I think that cardboard backing probably covered, if there were any screenshots, it covered the screenshot, so I didn't get to see any. And that should have been the first sign of perhaps an error on my part. Um, on the front cover is a picture of a, a, a guy. I assume this is Rigel. Um, he's got a scar in his face. Like... Sorry? Tom Selleck. Tom yeah, Selleck. Yeah, there is a Tom <laughs> Selleck look to him. Yeah, it's the moustache. He's got a manly... Yeah, manly mullet. He's got a moustache. Um, he is holding what looks like an, an, an Uzi. And then he's looming over a city skyline. And then lower down on the box cover is another guy with shades a big muscly guy holding a bloodied body under one arm shooting a machine gun with the other arm i mean it's all going off on this cover and it looks like pure action it would have been 199 or 299 uh pocket money game so i bought it on the spot i rushed home to play it and to cut a long story short it was a text adventure so <laughs> yeah try as i might i couldn't Bonus. leap i couldn't leap the imagination gap with that because I, I i hadn't set out it wasn't my expectation to play a text adventure i wanted an action arcade game and that's certainly not what i got so that is the, the first time that really happened to me so what what does really help is um dave today you are wearing an ultima 7 t-shirt no ultima 6 t-shirt sorry ultima 6 t-shirt 
um, which is the perfect example of a game that helps to bridge the imagination gap with feelies and browsies and all of that sort of stuff that you mentioned. Uh, Law books, all of that helps. But the one thing that makes a huge difference for me, no matter how bad the graphics are in a video game, is a map of the world that you can stick on your wall. Um, you look at this map and you, and you wonder how how do you get to these different areas? How can you get safely back? When you're not playing the game, you're looking at the map on your wall and you're just pondering your next move. I, I think even today, every modern game should come with a map that you can stick on your wall. It just expands your mind, expands the game infinitely. Even if there are areas of the map you can't even get to that haven't even been programmed in the game, it just gets your imagination going and adds to the mystery of it all. While reading this... Um, I saw another uh, story submitted this week to the subreddit uh, about the imagination gap from the perspective of the younger generation. Now, I, I am the last person. I, I hate dividing generations and trying to pick fault in different generations' perspectives. I, I'm not picking fault in this. I just found it an interesting story submitted thanks to Dr. Local. Uh, it's on thegamer.com, and it's entitled, Why are retro games so creepy? And the writer of this talks about anxiety induced by things like game fog and fixed camera angles in older games which make it impossible to see what's coming around the corner or even being creeped out just by the low polygon count of an example he gives is the sims <laughs> creeped out by the sims <laughs> so um you know in the 1970s we had game designers having nightmares about making missile command and nuclear annihilation uh now there's a generation having nightmares about the sims and um things like resident evil and its fixed camera angle and not being able to see what's coming around the corner which actually for us we knew that that was part of the mechanic of the game but also it was it was a cutting edge game at the time and it was part and parcel of what was possible with the technology so uh, i get that if you're approaching that out of context and, and you don't feel like you're on the cutting edge, you're just looking back at these retro games, it almost feels like it's more of a stylistic choice than a technical choice. And things like grainy textures and short view distances could feel a bit like a low-budget horror movie, I guess, taken out of context. So I, I get that kind of creepy feel and, and how you could come to that conclusion. Probably varies a lot from game to game, but... Um... But, you know, I say that The Sims was thrown in there as an example. So who knows? Mm. But there we go. A different perspective altogether about the imagination gap and not using the imagination gap to enhance a game, but just to feel a bit more scared and um, creeped out by a game. Gareth, is this an interesting one for you? Um, you know, given all the things you do with the pixel addict covers, you must be a very visual person. How does that affect your gaming? So, you know, if I think back to when I was a kid, um, I, uh, my brother and I never felt that we were being cheated by what was on the covers of the games that we were looking at. It was almost like we were getting a look into what the designers were thinking the game should be in their head. So it was almost like, um, I've got a good example here, like uh, Impossible Mission. You know, oh, yes. I remember... Mm. You know, I remember getting this and uh, just this cover with the that sort of 80s laser type um, uh, sort of imagery. Um, so when I played the game, that sort of informed the game because, you know, you, you've, you've got 320 pixels across, well, probably 160 back in the 64 days, you know. There's not much they can do. So it became a... Um, a thing for when you stepped away from the game, the cover and the game sort of blended together to create an experience that you remembered. Um, and 
I think that's sometimes what happens when you go back and you play a game and there's this disconnect and you go, but I don't remember it being like this because <laughs> I think nostalgia and your brain has melded it into a, a cohesive experience, you know. Yeah, that's when you fall into the trap then of saying, right, I'm going to have a retro room and I'm going to put the posters on the walls and I'm going to try and capture that feel as well and I'm going to play the music of the time. Yeah, it's a slippery slope, Gareth. Be careful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, uh, black and white films are another example. Quite often I'll watch a black and white film and then you forget that you're actually watching a black and white film while you're watching it. It's just a film, you know. Um mm. So. There's some crossover there. A black and white film in a retro video game is best played played on a rainy day when you can hear the rain outside, and it, <laughs> that that takes me back to being a kid, you know, stuck in my room on a rainy day playing video games. Just something about the rain, and even better if you've got the the smell of hot asphalt as the rain falls on it. Oh, that that's the perfect <sighs> retro. I I need to pipe that smell into the cave. Rain yeah. on hot roofs. <laughs> Maybe not when it's psycho, though. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be perfect. (laughs) Chris, I see in the notes you've posted a... a, 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 Sorry, Gareth, did you have something else to add there? No, the the last point I wanted to... You see this in visual effects films um, where less is is often more. Mm. Um, If you take a movie like Transformers, for example, they put so much detail into the visual effects as opposed to an older film say like Blade Runner, where there's a lot of fog and the the detail is almost imagined mm. um, by a person. Yeah. And I think that it's somewhat similar with video games, older video games like Monkey Island or something. Um, you've got to allow your mind to fill in the gaps for it to be a richer experience, basically. Mm. The threat of Jaws is far scarier than actually seeing Jaws. Mm. Um, in many ways, much like Chris. Yeah. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> no, I like the way we've segued into horror because that's another thing <laughs> I, I love. And yeah, Alien is a great example. You, you don't get to see the monster. And that was yeah. what made it so good. And then modern iterations, all they do is show you a CGI monster. Yeah. And it ruins it. They, they don't get it. They, they just don't get it. It's the tension that is scary, not actually what the monster looks like. But anyway, yeah, back back to computer games. Um, and and it's interesting what you said there, Gareth, about you know sort of blurring what we remember of a game and what the game was really like because that's the exact experience I've been through earlier this week. Um, and I revisited one of my favourite Spectrum games, which is Skyrunner, a game not many people talk about. And for good yeah. reason. <laughs> and I still love it. I actually love it. Once I got my head back into the context and back into the zone, I still liked revisiting it. But the best thing about it is the artwork. So it's got this really nice sort of jet bike speeding past some explosions. Um, and then behind that superimposed is is a close-up of this sort of space age helmet of the rider, which sort of fits the aesthetics of the of the jet bike as well. And it's just a really exciting cover. Um, but of course, with the limitations of the spectrum, and I think this was available on other platforms as well, probably was most games of the time were, but <laughs> when I revisited it, there's a, a, a first part of the game where you're in this sky skim and you have to take out these towers and then you get to drop this exciting jet bike. And when it dropped, I'm like, oh my goodness, that just looks terrible <laughs> because it was, it was the limitations of the time. It's the eight bit era. 
But then you get back into playing it, you accept the context, and you're still speeding past these trees. When I played this game as a kid, when I went out on my bike, I was then imagining Skyrunner as I went through the local woodland on my BMX, on my mountain bikes with my mates and, you know, cutting it close to trees. Skyrunner was in my head as I did that. And I was able to, you know, slowly get back there. But again, yeah, it was blurred. The game visually is not as good as I remember it being. And you really have to do, you really have to fill that imagination gap. You have to do it to to uh, enjoy the experience. So that's that's the one that sticks out to me. Um, Echelon on the Amiga. And I know, Neil, you've got a copy of this in the fake shop for the C64, but it's the same box art. Beautiful, okay. beautiful box art. This really nice, you know, futuristic-looking spaceship with the sort of wings sloping down either side, landing on some really nice, ornate alien planet. Um, and when you play it, even on the Amiga, it's just literally an 8-bit game thrown at a 16-bit platform for the Amiga version. It's just a wireframe space game that is confusing as heck and you can't work out what you're doing. And I remember standing in, in Megabytes, my local computer shop, for about half an hour deciding what to spend my well-earned pocket money on or my paper round money as it was at that time. And Echelon was the game of choice and getting home and just having to choose to be happy with my purchase. <laughs> and it, it was entirely based on, on that box art. Um, and then the last one for me, and and. This is for a reason that we haven't picked up on because it this hasn't been done very often, but it's it's Cosmic Conflict on the video pack or the Philips G7000 or Magnafox Odyssey 2. Not so much for the cover because at the end of the day, it was, you know, it's the 8-bit era. We know graphics are simplified, very similar to the Atari 2600 in terms of capabilities of the machine. Um, so you know the graphics of the box art are just a, what we would call in this day and age clickbait to get you to 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 um, you know commit your money, but they actually lied with the screenshots. There's three screenshots across the top of this bits of bo- bit of box art, and one of them shows what is definitely not a Tie Fighter because they they didn't have the IP to have a Tie Fighter, so it's just something that happens to represent a Tie Fighter, <laughs> but it's on an angle, and that wasn't possible in the game. And I remember playing this game over and over and over, progressing through the levels, expecting to get to this higher level where the TIE fighter would come in at me at an angle because I'd, you know, maybe maybe as I progress through the game, I would see that kind of graphics. No. it's a, and, it, and if you zoom in, it's actually the pixels that the machine is capable of is not capable of tilting that TIE fighter on that angle without it being really blocky. So they literally oh, nice. manipulated the screenshot to make it look more exciting. <laughs> That doesn't happen often. So, yeah, those are mine. And, of course, anything by Psygnosis. Apart from Lemmings and Armageddon, I'll let those two pass. But other than that, yes, they were great games and they were fantastic box art, but I was often confused as to how one met the other. Does that make I'm surprised. sense? I'm surprised at you with Armageddon because that was kind of part flight sim 3D, you know, a bit like Carrier Command. That was a fun game. No, that's what I'm saying. I said except Armageddon. So except Lemmings and Armageddon where the box art, I think, does match oh, the game. Oh, match up. Sorry, uh, I Everything else was so conceptual in terms of the box art and the mm-hmm. design that you, you had to have some kind of weird abstract mind or be in another plane to, to understand mm-hmm. what they were going for. Yeah. Gareth. Yeah, you just talked about um, Psygnosis. Um, mm. I remember I was in the States at the time and I bought Shadow of the Beast. Yes. 
And it was such an experience because it had the T-shirt in it and that big, sexy box mm. with this amazing – it was Yes, hey? the um, the guy who did the album covers for Yes. Roger Dean. Yeah. Roger Dean, yeah. I mean, it, it added – I mean, okay, look, the game was an amazing visual experience anyway. Audio, well, yeah, let's call it an audio-visual experience. And the box was part of that, you know? And um, so that was a, an, that's a really good example of, of a, a very narrow um, imagination gap, but it, it really you, worked uh, well. Did you ever play Shadow of the Beast while wearing the Shadow of the Beast T-shirt? <sighs> <laughs> I don't know, but I must have. Had <laughs> <laughs> a full experience to, to become yeah. the beast. Um, I'm really glad you brought that game up because uh, many, many episodes ago, we, we had um, we had a conversation about what's the stupidest, most expensive thing that you've bought in your retro hobby. And I've pushed that boundary back this week um, when <laughs> I came across the opportunity to buy that gorgeous big boxed version of Shadow of the Beast 2, not Shadow of the Beast 1 that I've got. Shadow of the Beast 2 with the t-shirt still sealed, never opened, never worn, all brand new old stock. So I picked that up this week and we'll move on before anyone asks me how much I paid for it. Dave. I know where you got it, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> okay. How much did you pay for it? <laughs> Um, there already are some great <laughs> examples on the subreddit. Did he, did he say? Did he, did he give us a figure? No, he didn't uh, say anything. Didn't say anything. Uh, uh, yeah, let's go on. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> there are some great examples on the subreddit. People have been replying. And someone brings up an important point where they complain about a Spectrum game that they bought, which had Atari ST screenshots on the back, making it look better. Um, same idea as what um, what Chris has said about the, the the video pack game, but I did notice some people saying that imagination did work, and that's my point. Um, a good game set up just right will leave a gap, and your imagination will fill it. Atari, uh, the name we used to love to love, but now love to well question, uh, and we're at it again. Uh, in fact, we've already mentioned them this episode. So, according to Stephanie Mlot. On PCMag.com, they've now acquired the rights to over 100 PC and console games from the 80s and 90s. And these include titles from Accolade, Infograms, and wait for it, especially yourself, Neil, Microprose. Ooh. Yes. Um, (laughs) There's not much depth to the story on PCMag, I'll be honest, Um, but some of the titles listed include Busby, 1942 Pacific Air War, Hardball, F-117A, Demolition Racer, and F-14. Some of the brand acquisitions have Atari heritage, and I'm sure one of you lads more schooled in things like how Accolade and Infograms fit into Atari's timeline will fill the gaps. But Microprose and F-117, what the hell is that doing in the hands of Atari where Microprose itself exists and was trying to launch its own games again, um, you know, as we've covered before. So, guys, let's just dive right into the conversation. What do you make of this? Didn't Infograms buy Atari out in 2008? Well, so now Atari are buying Infograms back. Didn't, didn't that happen? <laughs> yeah, I think they did. Infrogrames are now Atari SE. Right. Uh, so Atari ST was formerly Infrogrames Entertainment SE, I thought that, but I've just I've just Googled to check to make sure I'm not talking nonsense. So yeah, mm, mm. they were. So 
they've been buying some of their old stuff back by looks of things there. So that sounds okay, I guess. Yeah. Um, I love I love Atari arcade stuff. Atari arcade machines. The the the, the sound on them, just the whole feel, and they're great. And it is fair to say that over the years, they've done some some great work. Not always great, but they've done some great work on bringing. Uh, games, old games to the end user in an easy way to play. I know Chris has talked about the much maligned, is it the flashback you call them? Yeah. Or, the, or just the, 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 the games in a stick thing that people 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 look down the nose about them, I think, and I don't think they should because they're great for what they are. Mm. Um, I know we have MAME and we have Mister and there's Pandora's Boxes and all the rest of it, but it's, it, it is just not as simple as playing a game you want to play without having to go through those hoops. I talked earlier on about playing Knights of the Old Republic two and a half hours to get it working properly on widescreen. Um, I've set up MAME recently, and that wasn't quite as easy as I, as I, as I wanted it to be. So there, I hope that perhaps Atari are planning to do some way to bring these games back in a polished, easy-to-play way so that people can enjoy games that are timeless classics. Yeah, so for me, Atari is firmly placed in the 70s and 80s. Um, that's when I experienced the, the 2600 and the 8-bit micros. And then when the, the crash happened, um, sort of Atari died with that crash for me. Um, afterwards, they were still around, but they were more of a – I saw them as a publisher of other people's work. Um, and they never got back to that sort of hardware greatness. I mean, I had an Atari ST. And it was a, a good machine until I um, got an Amiga. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Dave. <laughs> it's fine. But, There's nothing uh, wrong with saying that because yeah. um, the, the, the rabbit uh, Amiga fan will, will tell you that it wasn't a good machine until you had your Amiga. It was never good. But no, it's true. The, the ST was great uh, in its yeah. day. Yeah, no, it, it was. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that for me, the interesting, what I'd like to see with this is for it to not be a, a cheap cash in an old IP and just bringing back the old games, but actually do something where they give the IP or uh, bring in some indie developers, for example, people that, uh, where they allow some experimentation and exploring that IP. Um, and maybe they're doing some more pixel art, modern pixel art games. Um, so we, you know, what if we've got a flight simulator that was a, almost a bridge between the 16-bit and the 32-bit era? But a modern version of that, I'd love to see that type of um, exploration, basically, rather than just give me back the old stuff again, you know. Neil, Microprose, come on. Microprose, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm guessing the new Microprose doesn't own the assets of the old Microprose because they're churning things out uh, and someone else has now chosen to to sell the old Microprose assets to Atari or some of them because... You know, if you were going to shout about microprose, you would surely see names like pirates pop up and civilization, and we're not seeing those. So it's it's not the full set, of course. Um, yeah, personally, I think it's better that franchises that are familiar and loved make their way to companies that might actually de develop them. So I'm happy about that. I'm happy that it's shifting around and um, it might happen. But this is Atari, so there's also the chance that your next episode of your favorite franchise will will just be an NFT. 
um, maybe accessed via Winamp after last week's oh. story. Um, you don't know. But, um, you know, it doesn't include them all. So, for example, we know that new Microprose is working on a new B-17 Flying Fortress and have been for about 4,000 years and aren't updating on us on it. So, Microprose, hello, where is my B-17? Please update us. You can come on the show. We'll, we'll dedicate a whole show to be the new B-17. Come on. You got that Tell right. us all about it. Um, so, Neil, Neil, that, that actually might on. happen. Really? <laughs> that might happen, Neil, now you say it, because we, we, we know they watch it. They watch the show, so that oh, yeah, you, you may commented have... before. Yeah, come on, make it happen. Yeah, um, I'll even I'll even green screen myself into a B seventeen for the whole episode. Um, so um, yeah, but there's some interesting names that pop up. Hardball, for example, oddly is a game that's very close to my heart because, like John Madden's football, hardball is the game that taught me about baseball, taught me all the rules of baseball, and has stuck with me ever since. So I smiled when I saw that. Um, but can I see Atari investing the money needed to develop a modern day flight sim from the ground up for something like a new F-117A? Mm, no, that's going to be a lot of money um, for probably quite a low return when you consider the other flight sims that are doing well out on the market at the moment. They're very high quality uh, games. So um, they would either have to farm that out to someone else, like new Micropros, who seem to have a 3D engine that they're recycling for lots of different titles now, or more likely, this is where I'm going to put my money. We're going to see Atari repackaging retro games, maybe with DOSBox, maybe with something else, and seeing some compilations, or just seeing these old games appear on Steam under the Atari brand. That's what I would guess. Um, what I would hope for is new games. What I would hope for is uh, maybe um, physical versions of old games so you can buy them again. But I think we're probably just going to see digital downloads of repackaged retro games. I don't think that's too controversial a take on it. No, I don't think so. F-117 is a really weird title for me because even the aircraft, I'm going to make you all feel old. The stealth fighter has been retired because it is that old and it was retired a while ago. You know, the F-117 is not a new aircraft at all. So, yeah, that makes me feel old anyway. Um, an F-22, of course, was done by Ocean and DID, so... I mean, that would be the model equivalent, but anyway. Mm. Um, there we go. Thanks, Starcade2084, for alerting us to this. It is very odd news, and, and it's microprose is the title in my mind when I say that. Maybe all I can think of, maybe microprose did own the rights to those games and they're going to use this as a bit of a cash injection. I don't know. Yeah, That's all maybe. I can, yeah, that's that's my only logic behind it. Um, anyway, I've noticed some chat about this um, and saying that basically Atari is attacking the very notion of abandonware. Now, sadly, the fact is the word is simply our excuse to keep pirating old games. Abandonware has no legal meaning at all, never has. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Neil? Abandonware is just a word that you put in the search engine to find um, yeah. copywritten software that you want to pirate. It's it's <laughs> so true. Unless yeah. unless there are some instances where the where the developer has officially declared it abandonware and released yes. the rights to it. There are some examples of that. Yeah. But generally, you're looking to pirate games. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, in uh, there's uh, other than the seventy year rule, that's the closest thing I can think about in copyright and intellectual property. Uh, and I quote copyright.com.au on this. In general, copyright in text, images, and music lasts for 70 years after the year of the create creator's death 
even if the creator does not own the copyright. And as far as I'm aware, you know, this does not clearly does not apply to games made in the 80s and 90s because not enough time has passed. So Atari's agenda aside, they're not making it harder for us to download old games legally. We weren't doing it legally to begin with, but hands up, that's that's the reality. So let's just hope they do something good with these IPs and don't charge the earth for it. And to come full circle, I'd possibly trust, actually, the current Atari to do something useful with F117 than the current Microprose. Oh, interesting. Ooh. Oh, that's controversial. Ooh. End the, on a controversial note. They've done wrong. <laughs> yeah. They've done nothing show. wrong, have they? No, no, they've not done anything. Oh. No, you're right. Yeah. Don't let us catch you photocopying those pixel addict covers either. time now for our question of the week so last week's question was set up by mark was it chris or was it mark i can't remember who set this question last week it was kind of a it was a combo and it came together to one simple question which was nothing to do with retro games what was your favorite childhood snack that you can no longer buy so um, sorry go on dave Oh, I thought he was going to—he's going to get a snack. You've made him okay, hungry. Dave, Dave's got <laughs> hungry and disappeared for a snack, so we'll, we'll carry on without him. There's a note here which says, "Anyone remember Pacers?" Which I think uh, Duncan has put that note in. Pacers—I I don't remember Pacers. No, 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 I don't remember Pacers. Let's look no. them up. Pacers snacks, just for Duncan. Mm. Um, mint. Oh, I do remember them. Okay, so they were uh, mints that had a green stripe on the wrapper. Oh, hang on. Does that ring any bells? Let me have a look. It, uh, as soon as I saw them, I was like, yes, I remember them. It's Chewy a basketball mints. team from Indiana. That's all I'm getting. Do you mean with a green stripe? Yes, I do. A very distinctive taste. Yeah. Um, oh, so okay. There go. So let's look up your answers this week. Dave has returned with a... <gasps> Dave's going to do an unboxing. Um, Dave, do you remember the- Pacers? Yes. There they, we go. Were they the... The, the minty kind of green and white things. You got it. The stripy mints. There Dave remembers. Okay, Orpheus 2 so just arrived. What did? arrived? The Orpheus 2. <gasps> the the, the Gravis Ultra. Oh, sound card. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Are you going to put that in your ISA slot or your ISA slot? <laughs> it's going in my <laughs> ISA slot where it, where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the top answer this week comes from Tedge, who says Spangles. Anyone remember Spangles? I remember the name. Oh. Spangles. What are they? Sound like um, a pop band. Yeah, I was just going to say the Bengals less okay. popular. <laughs> they were boiled sweets. <laughs> boiled sweets, little hard boiled sweets. I probably choked no. on one. Well, I thought we'd get more of a Bangles. response for Spangles because oh, it's the, it's the most, most uprated one. But um, yeah. Um, in 2008, Spangles topped a poll of discontinued <gasps> brands which British consumers would like to see most revived. So there's a lot of love out there for Spangles, if not did. Um, here for some reason. Am I am I misremembering that they discontinued Whisper and then brought it back? Oh, I don't remember that. Maybe Whisper Gold, but I don't mm, remember Whisper don't itself being discontinued. Um, okay, next answer. Uh, Chris, do you want to read the next answer? I do indeed, because it's what I remember. Remington Noiseless says, I was going to say wham bars, but you can still buy them. Oh, 
Oh no! Well, that's not, we can't have that then. That's not, oh, we no. can't have it. I, I do remember yeah. Wambars, and they did indeed, as somebody else said, remove your fillings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, sorry. So the question chewy. was which you can no longer buy. So, well, so he does all do the, the next one. He goes do on to say, one. wait, he goes on to say, but there was something similar which was fruity and orange coloured with some sort of jungle picture on the front. I miss them, but can't remember what they're called. Oh yeah, I remember those, but I don't remember the name. Yeah, yeah, there, there were a lot of those. It wasn't Curly Whirly, was it? They had a jungle picture on the front, didn't they? Uh, no, but that's not fruity. No, it's Colour not fruity. fruity. No, you're fruity. right. It's not fruity. It did remove your fillings, though. Yeah, there were a lot of Wham style bars in the in the Tempe and two, the, one penny sweet section of the shop, weren't there? Which, was which it Umbongo yeah. sweets? I, I know it's Umbongo you... drink, but did, did they bring out a sweet? Because that's what it felt like. Umbongo. Yeah, there was a. Um, uh, what's that orange vial stuff that you drink, Dave? Iron Brew. There was an Iron Brew Chewy bar as well. Was there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Iron Brew Chew, yeah. Yeah. You can still get that. Iron Brew Chew has not been discontinued. So that's another one that doesn't count. Okay, so Chris, you need we, to read another one because that doesn't count. We've already gone so over the hour this week that we might, we might as well just push on. Fine, Chris, what's next? Think, yeah, so <laughs> I'm trying to read this username. T8 Star Dim Thedra. How, how do you pronounce it? Tate Star... Anyway, it's there. Um, anywhere, anyone remember the Bone Shaker Sweets? It was a little plastic coffin yes. with swizzle-style mm. bone-shaped sweets in them. Uh, used to try and complete a skeleton out of it. Huh, fun. Um, nothing like playing with your food. Yeah. Uh, but it was just no, random bone them. parts. Yep, love those. Yeah, remember find them. Bones. Yep, sorry. Real bones? <laughs> little random bone parts, maybe made from real bone, I don't know. But um, there was them. There was also like the Builder Burger one. Do you remember them? Little jelly burger thing and you'd get all the layers. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. With. This was, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. Dave, do you want to read the next one? It's he's from unboxing. our good friend Rob, aka Peepo UK. Oh, he's, he's actually he says the same thing. We've had paces. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Read another one, Dave. Johnny. Um, <laughs> piglets. They were like a tiny 3D crisp in the shape of a pig that tasted of bacon. Mm. Always wondered how they were made. Piglets washed down with a carton of umbongo. I do not remember them at all. I remember Umbongo. I remember Umbongo. Yeah, they drink the name it in the Congo. But I don't yeah, that's right. <laughs> piglets. Um, Gareth, is there a, a snack of choice that you used to enjoy that you can no longer buy? So um, that's the one, perhaps? Well, yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of South African sweets that I can't get here because there seems to be some sort of embargo on... I think dairy or maybe additives that South Africans put into this mm. the food that we can't get here. So, um, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of South African things I can't get. But the, uh, on the list there, I saw someone talking about Ghostbusters. Mm. And I remember when the Ghostbuster crisps came out, they used to have a lot more flavors. And then eventually they whittled it down just to the one flavor that we have these days. Uh, do yeah. we even still get them in this country? I, I can't I, remember. I've not seen Ghostbusters crisps. You you can get Star Raiders again, but I've not seen Ghostbusters yeah. crisps. Yeah, I have to burn um, up some of these. And then the, um, the the correct answer is is far too low on the list. I'm afraid it should be at the top. Terry's Pyramid from Rip, Rich Neptune. <gasps> Yeah. It was a giant cream Ooh. egg height dark chocolate pyramid that came in a pyramid-shaped cardboard box filled with the same minty fondant they used in the mint munchies. Um, 
They weren't called mint munchies. You had munchies and you had... After eight? Uh, what was, it wasn't after eight, was it? Oh. It was Terry's... Um, do you remember there was the, the fondant-filled chocolate square mints? I can't remember what they were called now. That's what uh, but right. munchies was okay. the non-minty one. Mm. Anyway, I blooming love those things. He goes on to say, although my older, wiser taste buds now prefer savory snacks, I would love to eat one more. And yes, I love te- uh, pyramids. And also my taste buds in the same way as eating a cream egg now. If I eat a cream egg now, my teeth feel like they're just going to fall out of my head. So um, I, I can't take that sweetness anymore. But Terry's pyramid is the correct answer. I'm calling it. Um, Dave, I, I muted you because you were rustling a lot. So if you have something to say now, you might want to unmute yourself. No, he's just he's just holding his Orpheus up to the camera. He's too excited. <laughs> too excited. There he yeah, is. Yeah, this has just arrived. This is my Orpheus 2 arrived as we were recording. It is, I'm super excited about it. It's a Gravis ultrasound along with a Sound Blaster Pro compatible thing and a, a, a proper uh, rolling MIDI thing all in one uh, in an ISA slot, an ISA, ISA, not ISA, not ISA. Did, did uh, it so cost, that's just arrived, so I'm very excited. Did it cost, how many Shadow of the Beast 2s did that cost? <laughs> More than one. <laughs> how much was a Shadow of a Beast? How much is a Shadow of a Beast 2? The new old stock Shadow of the Beast 2 with unopened T-shirt, everything complete, was £150. That's not bad. Including oh. shipping... Plus, he threw in a couple of extra Psygnosis games as that, well. So. That's actually not oh, bad. Okay. I've seen them go for more. Yeah, and not new deal. old yeah. stock. Not new old stock, Neil. That That's a good price. Wow. Well done. Well done. Oh, this that's is, a beautiful card. a lot, lot more expensive, I'm afraid. This is like two of those. There you go. Nice. You should have, anyway. should have bought Shadow of the Beast, Dave. So, <laughs> a new question for this week is, how do you fill the imagination gap when playing games, old or new? What takes the immersion to the next level for you? You can take part in our question of the week over our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. You can also submit stories for our consideration that we may or may not pick choose to uh, pick to chat about. But even if they don't appear in the show, they do stimulate lots of conversations on the subreddit. And there's a lovely little community developing there, as well as on our Discord chat server, discord.gg forward slash rmc retro, where you can uh, enter the this week in retro room or take part in the wider conversation about anything and everything that goes on in that server lots of happy chatters in there thank you again gareth for joining us today um look out for his future covers on pixel addict magazine uh, gareth can you tease us with anything that may or may not be appearing on the cover of a uh, of the next issue um i'm busy with it right now um all i can say is it involves a shelf there we go. Mm. What a teaser. It involves a shelf. <laughs> Look out for that exciting shelf in the next issue of Pixel Addict magazine, pixel.addict.media to find out more about that. And we will see you same place, same time next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See ya. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel.
Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.